Hi, this is Nathan. Before we get to the episode, I want to invite you to join me on an incredible adventure this November of 2024. I am taking a small group of believers to Turkey, what the New Testament called Asia Minor, for a 12-day Bible study tour of the early church. We'll be studying the book of Acts and many of the epistles on location as we visit ancient cities like Ephesus, Laodicea, Heropolis, Antioch, Pergamum, and many more. If you are interested in joining me this November for a once-in-a-lifetime adventure as we study where much of the New Testament and early church took place, you can learn more by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. And if you're interested, don't delay. Spots are limited and on a first-come, first-served basis, and a $100 discount is available if you register before May 27th. I do hope you can join me. And again, more information is available at deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. Now, here's the episode. Welcome to episode 39 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and today I want to talk about where you can find God's richest blessing for your life. Let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to join me and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. If you know me at all, you know that I've been studying Ephesians for quite some time, and I truly have fallen in love with just the the oomph and the power of Paul's discourse to the church in Ephesus. Now, the main thrust or the main tone or flow or focus of the entire book of Ephesians is this idea that you are to be in Christ. What does it look like? What does it mean for your life to be lived in this position of being in him? In fact, 30 times in the first three chapters, Paul talks about in Christ, or he uses the language of in Christ, in him, in whom. In other words, he's going overboard saying that your position is in Jesus Christ. And then interestingly, in chapters four through six, he kind of gives the practical explanation of what he set up theologically in chapters one through three. So chapters one through three is kind of the concept. It's kind of the main thrust. It's his argument. It's to be obviously seated in Christ Jesus. But then in chapters four through six, he says, all right, now that you know your position in Christ, let me talk about what that looks like lived out on the streets of your everyday life. Now, what I want to do is I want to focus on this idea of God's blessings. We live in a culture that seems to be obsessed about blessing. If you look on social media or as you look at some of the best well-known Christian books of today, it seems like a lot of people are searching for, hey, where where can I find God's blessing? What, what does that even look like? Well, Paul addresses the blessing of God in Ephesians chapter 1. It really is a section that starts in verse 3 and goes all the way down to verse 14. And just to kind of set some context, I want to read this to you. And then I want to kind of walk through it, even just kind of at a at a global, on, on an on a overview kind of sense. So here's Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. What a phenomenal passage. Now, if you were to step back a little bit, you would notice that verses 3 through verse 14 is split into three subsections. Interestingly, he's talking about the blessings of God. And in verses 3 down to verse 6, he's talking primarily about the blessings that come from the Father. And then in verse 7 through verse 12, he's talking about the blessings that come from the Son. And then in verses 13 and 14, he's talking about the blessings that are from the Spirit of God. Now, you know that each of these are sections because each of them end with this idea of the praise of his glory. In verse 6, it says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. Again, in verse 12, Paul ends that section about the Son saying that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And again in verse 14, talking about the Spirit, he says, Who is the guarantee of the inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? And so you can obviously see that it's split into three little sections, each of them ending with this idea that your life is is to be to the praise of his glory which obviously sets the kind of the tone or the context for understanding this idea of blessing. That every blessing that God has for you is not meant necessarily for you as much as it is to be to the praise of his glory. Isn't that any thought? That everything that God is wanting to do in and through your life is not merely just for your sake. In fact, you're just merely a flow-through channel In other words, God is giving blessing to you and in return, his blessing in and through your life in just kind of flows through you back to him as this offering of praise. I love this idea that that we are to worship and praise and adore God himself. And yet he is dumping blessing upon us. And and as as Paul is saying here, it's almost like as as he dumps blessing upon us, we take the blessing and we go, wow, and we literally convert that or we just flip that and literally give him praise. Wouldn't it be neat if everything that God does in your life, you you just turn to praise and worship? Wouldn't it be interesting that your entire life, now again, just for clarity here, we're not just talking about singing in terms of worship. We're talking about a lifestyle of worship. Wouldn't it be neat if your entire life was just a declaration of the praise of his glory. The psalmist says that the creation itself 
is a declaration. It's giving praise to his glory. Do you realize that you're a part of that? That that your life, when people look at your life, they're just to be stunned and saying, wow, there is a God of the universe. Wow, can, can you just, can you introduce me? I, I, I want to embrace him as well. Why? Because everything in your life, everything that comes out of your mouth is unto the praise of his glory. Is that true in your life? Have you, have you allowed God to just take everything, all the good, all the bad, all just, will you let him leverage everything for the purpose, for his good purpose, as he says in Romans 8, that he's literally taking everything in your life and he's rever- converting that and using that to like give himself praise. So in essence, God is really worshiping himself through you. He's really dumping blessing upon your life, which in turn is really changed and really given off his praise back to him. What a neat thought. Now, all of verses 3 through 14 hang upon the very premise of this idea of blessing, which shows up in verse 3. Now, let me reread verse 3 to you. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You may have noticed that the word blessing shows up three times in this one verse. Obviously, this is very central to the verse itself. Now, if you're a grammar nerd, and it's okay if you're not, but if you're a grammar nerd, you'll notice how one of them is an adjective, one of them is a verb, and one of them is a noun. Woo! Isn't that exciting? So let me reread verse three to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's an adjective. Who has blessed us, which is a verb, with every spiritual blessing, which is the noun. So let me walk you through this really quick. You recognize that God himself, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, is blessed. He is a blessed God. Now, when we think about this idea of that God is blessed or blessed, uh, we, we have this idea of, oh, he has this thing. He has like this coat called blessing. And that that's actually the wrong perspective. See, blessing is not something that God has as much as it is who he is. Uh, for example, holiness. God doesn't have holiness. It's not like an overcoat that God puts on and saying, whoa, I am holy. See, God himself is holy. You cannot separate the holiness of God from who God is himself. Uh, the other idea is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 and 16 says God is love. You cannot separate this idea of agape love from who God is. It, that is who he is. It's not something he has. It's who he is. And that seems to be what's going on here in this idea that he is blessed. That God doesn't have blessing as if, you know, he can like remove that from himself. He himself is blessed. He is a blessed God. It's like he's like sitting in a state. He has a state of being called blessing. So, so here's the picture. I imagine God, he's sitting up on the throne and really just oozing out of him is this atmosphere. It's this, this haze. It's a fog of blessing itself. See, God is so blessed. He just lives in a state. He lives in an atmosphere. He just lives in a tone. He lives in a, a, a mist of blessing. It just really surrounds him. It goes with him everywhere. Why? Because inside of who God is, is blessedness. He is a blessed God. Now, this word in the Greek uh, comes from where we get the English word eulogy. Now, a eulogy is this idea of speaking good things about somebody. 
So we go to a funeral and, and there they are li- lying down. And, and uh, so someone gets up and they say the eulogy, which is, hey, we're going to, hey, we're going to brag on the person. We're going to talk about all the good things that they did. Now you realize that God himself is so good, that God himself is so amazing that there are not enough good words to declare the richness of who he is. That they, that every language, if you were to combine every language, would still fail in declaring the wonder and the majesty and the greatness of God himself. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And hey, there is no description that fully just enunciate the reality of who he is. Why? He is blessed. And he lives in this state, this atmosphere, this this tone of blessing. Now, here's God seen upon the throne. He lives in this state. He is so blessed. He's just living in this, this atmosphere of blessing. And literally, it's like something grabs a hold of him and says, hey, you've got to do something about this. And what does a blessed God do? Oh, Paul says that he has blessed us. That here is God, that he, he is just sitting in this atmosphere of blessing. He is so blessed. It is just part of who he is that something just bubbles up within himself and just grabs a hold of him and just says, hey, I've got to do something about this. And so what does he do? Oh, he speaks forth blessing upon you. Wow, what an incredible idea. That God, who is a blessed God, is turning around and is doing the action of blessing. In other words, he's taking what's it, what's already in himself and is really dumping that upon you. And you are blessed. Why? Because you have a blessed God. So here's a blessed God literally sitting in this atmosphere of blessing because he's blessed. He literally, something wells up within him, bubbles forth. He has to do something about it. So what does he do? He speaks forth blessing. And what is the blessing that he is speaking? Oh, Paul tells us every spiritual blessing. Now, this every spiritual blessing, it's a noun, is found in the heavenly realms. And it is contained, get this, this is this is foundational. It is contained, at the end of verse 3, in Christ. So, get this idea. Here is a blessed God sitting upon his throne, just living in a state, an atmosphere, a tone of blessing. God is so blessed, something just, he just bubbles up within himself. He just has to do something about it. And so what does he do? He speaks forth blessing. And the blessing that he is speaking forth is every spiritual blessing, which is contained in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that every blessing that God has for you is found in one single place, Jesus himself. As, as you walk through this passage, how you, you look at verses three through six, the blessings of the father. Do you realize that every blessing in that section is really focused on the person of Jesus? When, when you look at verses seven through 12, the blessings of the son, you notice that every blessing that's, that, that Paul is talking and referring to is found in Jesus himself. When you look at verses 13 and 14, the blessings of the spirit, see all of those are even focused upon Jesus Christ. Do you realize that everything that God wants for you, every, hey, God's dream in your life, his deep passion, his, his will for you, his, his longing, his, des- his desperate desire for your life, everything that God desires for you is found in one single place. That's his son, Jesus Christ. 
In fact, Peter picks up this idea in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says that in Jesus, he has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Do you realize that everything that you need for life and everything that you need for godliness is found in one place, Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the source of life. If you read the book of John, John just goes overboard on that idea that your life is to be hidden in Christ, that, that he is the very substance of the Christian life. In fact, you don't need anything outside of Jesus. You just need Jesus. A good mentor of mine gave this illustration. I just love this. And I noticed this in my own personal life. When I was a kid, see, I had this idea that if I needed something, I would come to God for it. And uh, I imagine God as the ultimate store clerk. And uh, so I would bang on God's door and say, God, I, you know, I really need some love right now. I, you know, my neighbor down the road is just driving me crazy. I, I need some love. And, you know, I, in my imaginations, I saw God going, oh, okay, I, I've got that. And so he goes into the back room and pulls out this jar called love and, and pops me a pill called love. And, I, you know, I, I pop it in my mouth and go, woo, thank you. And I run out the door and see, that's not how God operates. See, most of the time, I actually don't even know what I need. So I bang on God's door and say, God, I need some joy. I'm just, man, I'm just feeling down and just, man, everything's heavy. Could, could you give me, could you give me some joy? And so God gets, you know, goes into the little storeroom and, and grabs this jar called joy, gives me the joy pill. And I go, whoa, I got joy. And I run out the door and I run out the door. I go, oh, I didn't need joy after all. So I run back in and say, God, thanks for the joy. But what I really need, what I really need is I need some patience. Pa I need patience now. I need like patience now, now. Come on, God, I need patience now. And God goes, hey, settle down, settle down. I got what you need. Goes into the back room, grabs in the storeroom the, the jar called patience, pops me the pill called patience. Do you realize that's not how God operates? See, I come to God and say, God, I need some love. Do you know what he's going to give me? He's going to be, he's going to give me Jesus who becomes my love. Why? Because he is love. See, if I come to God and say, God, I, I need some joy. Do you know what he's going to give me? He doesn't give me a pill called joy. He gives me Jesus who becomes my joy. See, Psalm 16 verse 11, that at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, the fullness of joy is contained in Christ Jesus. If I need patience, he gives me Jesus. If I need peace, he gives me the Prince of Peace. Do you realize every blessing that God has for you is found in one single source? That's Jesus. And now what is so amazing about that is, if I don't know what I need, I run to God and say, God, I need some love when I really needed some joy. Do you recognize that when God gives me Jesus, he becomes all of that in my life. He becomes my love and my joy. He becomes my, in fact, look at the fruits of the spirit in Galatians chapter five. Paul says that the fruits of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these are fruits of the spirit. And when the spirit of God, which is literally the spirit of Jesus, as, as Jesus declares in, in John chapters 14, 15, and 16, when Jesus, who gives us himself, his spirit, who lives inside of you as a Christian, think about this. He becomes everything that you need. And the fruit of that, the, the fruit of the life of Christ within you is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. 
that I don't have to whip up love. I don't have to whip up self-control. I don't have to whip up patience. I don't have to whip up some sense of peace that when I allow Jesus to be the fullness of my life in him is everything that I need for life and for godliness. Wow. That would tell you I need to embrace Jesus. That that if I really want to if I really want to grab a hold of the blessings of God, I don't need to go after the blessings, I need to go after Jesus. Because in the embrace of Jesus, I have all the blessings that God wants for me. Now, as you walk through the passage, verses 3 through verse 14, Paul gives very clear enunciation of several blessings that's found in Christ. Now, this is not the totality of all the blessings in Christ. He's just giving a list of several of them. Now, let me just read a few of these to you. He says things like, you've been chosen, that you are accepted, that you've been made holy and blameless, that you were adopted in as a child of God, that you experience redemption and forgiveness, that he has given you all wisdom and prudence, that you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and that you become a partaker of the mystery. But do you realize every single one of those easily enunciated or finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ? In fact, if you go back to verse 3, it's interesting that when he's blessing us with every spiritual blessing, that's a singular word in the Greek. In other words, he's not giving us multiple blessings. He's giving us one single blessing, which is Jesus. And you could say, well, Paul, you just listed a whole bunch of these. Chosen, accepted, adoption, redemption, forgiveness. But it's singular? Paul goes, yes, because they're all found in Jesus Christ. Let me just give you one as an illustration. Let me just pull out one of these, and which is probably my favorite. In verse 4, Paul says that he has chosen you in Christ before the foundation of the world that you should be holy and without blame before him in love. Do you recognize that before God ever spoke creation into existence, before Genesis 1-1 ever took place, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, before that verse took place in history, you were already on God's mind. See, God has chosen you before he laid the foundations of the world. See, you are not an accident. You are not an afterthought. See, your parents may have looked at you and said, whoop, that was a, that was a, you know, that was a mistake. Or whoop, that was an accident. Or whoop, we weren't expecting that. But see, that's not true in the, in the viewpoint or the perspective of God. Why? Because he has chosen you. Jeremiah says, even in my mother's womb, you saw me. But even before that, before the world was created, God had you in his mind. Do you realize that he has chosen you? Now, if you're like me, you you kind of, you know, you kind of shy away from this idea of chosen. See, when I hear the word chosen, I think of uh, elementary school dodgeball. Uh, when I was in elementary school, you know, the, you know, the teacher would, you know, split up the, the kids into two teams. And typically, you know, she would pick the big hulking guy. Uh, you know, named Tommy over here and then Billy over here on the other side. It's, you know, the, the two big, you know, muscular athletic guys. And they were the team captains and they got to choose their teams. And so they would go back and forth and Tommy would say, all right, I, I choose Matt. And Billy would say, all right, I, I choose, you know, Frank. And they go back and forth, back and forth. Now, once they got through all the strong guys, they would, they would shift to all the ladies. And uh, once they got through all the ladies, there's typically, you know, four or five people 
left at the very end. And, and you know, I was, I'm not athletic and I was one of those at the very end. And so here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of waiting. I'm, I'm expecting, all right, I'm waiting for my name to be called. I'm all excited. And, uh, you know, Tommy kind of looks at the, the five of us remaining. He's like, oh, uh, well, I, 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 oh, well, I, I, I guess I'll take Bob. And Billy's like, oh, bummer. And uh, he's like, well, I, I guess I'll take Sally. And, you know, the three of us remaining are looking at each other like, oh, who's going to be next? And, and uh, inevitably, well, I was chosen last. See, that's not how God chooses you. I don't know how to articulate this well, but imagine God lines up everybody and says, all right, I get one first pick. Who, who am I going to choose first? Do you know what God does? He looks at you and says, I choose you. Now, I don't know how this works because technically he chooses all of us first. And in fact, I've often made the joke that I will look at somebody and say, you know what? I'm God's favorite. I mean, I'm God's number one favorite. Biblically, I can prove to you I'm God's favorite. Now, I have to admit to them that they're technically God's number one favorite too. And they would, you know, God would choose them first as well. Now, I don't know how that works. But in God's amazing sovereignty and brilliance and wisdom and love, see, you were not chosen last. You were God's very first pick. And he chose you before the foundations of the world, before he spoke creation into existence. You were on his mind. You were the very beat of his heart. He was passionately in love with you. He was just desirous to get you in relationship. Man, he was just excited for you to be born. In fact, for... For the last several thousand years, he was just anxious and excited for this this time and, and this generation for you to be alive. Why? Because God needed you now and he has chosen you before the very foundations of the world. Well, what did he choose you for? Oh, get this, that you should be holy and without blame before him in love. And just as the, the sacrificial lambs in the Old Testament were to be spotless and holy and without blemish, so too, he is doing that in your life in Christ Jesus. And as you get wrapped up in Jesus and the choosing that he has for you, not only are you chosen, but you are accepted that he makes you holy and blameless before him. And in the midst of that, he adopts you as a child of God. You experience redemption and freedom. He gives you all wisdom and prudence. And you're looking to partake in this mystery, which is the life of Christ and dwell in you via the Holy Spirit. Wow. Talk about a blessing. And all of that is found in Christ Jesus. Do you recognize that you are blessed? Why? Because you have a blessed God who just can't help himself, but literally dump forth blessing upon you. And the singular blessing that he has given you is Christ Jesus. And in him is everything that you need for life and for godliness. You don't need to look outside. You don't need to look anywhere else. You only need to look unto Christ Jesus. He is everything you need. Why wouldn't you go after him? Why wouldn't you get your life wrapped up around him? Why wouldn't you just be obsessed with him? Why wouldn't you just let him be the turn on of your life? Why wouldn't you just be madly in love with him? Why wouldn't you wake up in the morning saying, whoa, I get to spend time with Jesus today. And he is filling my life through his spirit. And he has given me every spiritual blessing, which is himself and everything that you need. Literally, God doesn't give you anything outside of Jesus. He gives you Jesus. 
I want that. I want I want the riches richness of the spiritual blessings that God has for me. And it's not money, it's not cars, it's not health, wealth and prosperity. It's Jesus Christ. So where can you find the extravagant rich blessings of God for your life? It's only found in one place. It's Jesus Christ. Would you go after him today? Will you embrace him afresh? Will you just madly fall in love with him? What a Jesus. Well, on to our Bravehearted Voices segment. We've been walking through a series of listening to some of the, some sermon clips from these great sermons from the last hundred years or so that we have on audio. Today, I want to play you a sermon from T. Austin Sparks called The Mighty Presence of God. It's a short clip talking about this reality of what does it mean to live in light of the presence of God in your life. So without further ado, here is the sermon clip from T. Austin Sparks called The Mighty Presence of God. Christ is the purpose of God. Let us not think of divine purpose in an abstract term as something. Let us see that the purpose is a person. There's no possibility of realizing the purpose apart from the person. Therefore, if we are called according to the purpose, it is on the basis of our being called into the fellowship of God's Son. Our realization or fulfillment of God's purpose in this very creation and in our existence demands a vital relationship with the Lord Jesus. It's where it begins. There is no explanation of existence, the existence of men or of creation, only in this way, God's determination to have a dwelling and that that determination is realized and fulfilled firstly in the person of his son and then second in all where his son is found. If you'd like to listen to the entire sermon by Tias and Sparks, you can find a link to that as well as other resources in the show notes for this episode. Go to deeperchristian.com forward slash 39 for episode 39 and you'll find it there. And if you've enjoyed the podcast thus far and found benefit for your personal life, I would encourage you to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which is the new name for iTunes for podcasting. It would be a tremendous blessing because Apple uses these star ratings and reviews as a way to get the podcast in front of other people. So if you think other people should hear this podcast, please take 30 seconds and go to the ratings and review section of this podcast on iTunes, now called Apple Podcasts. And for a direct link, you can find that in the show notes at deeperchristian.com forward slash 39. Well, until next time, know I am cheering you on as you build your life around Jesus Christ.